Hello, Curse Crew, and welcome to Curse or Coincidence, where each week we dive into famous curses from sports, entertainment, and history to separate fact from fiction, mystery from history, and ask, is it a curse or is it just a coincidence? I'm Nathan, and with me as always is the beautiful believer, Amy. How are you, darling? Great. Thriving. Thriving. Doing amazing. Thriving yeah. and surviving. Thriving, surviving. That's all you can hope for. Yeah, pretty much. How's your week been? Oh, it's just going from strength to strength. I actually had someone suggest to me, without giving too many identifying details away, our surname could probably be subbed in for the Lee family curse. And someone said to me, <laughs> you should do your fam- your insert surname family curse. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. And now after spending like four hours at Telstra today, I think I should. <laughs> I think we should start to write all this down because Robert is really effing with my mojo at the moment. Yeah, we really need to get onto that letter. Yeah, we need to write a letter. Sooner rather than later. <laughs> I can't send him anything because my phone won't connect to the <laughs> yeah, effing can't, internet. Can't email him. Can't, can't email him it. I'm going to have to send it via snail mail like a <laughs> bloody living in the 1900s. <laughs> uh, so, so as always, we'll delve into a tale of a curse from sports, entertainment or history. We'll weigh the facts and the fiction and decide once and for all if it is a curse or if it's just a coincidence. Let's do it. So, Amy, in a previous episode, we decided that it's never a good idea to disturb the dead. Fuck around and find out. Yeah, I think we, you, I think we said in the episode, if you fuck with the dead, they fuck back. Yeah. Uh, so, in today's episode, I'm going to tell you the tale of how the disturbance of a long dead conqueror may have led to one of the most pivotal moments in the early stages of World War II. Today, we are going to talk about the curse of Timor. Oh, Timor. Mm. Timor. That's right. So, also known as Tamerlane, Timor was a Turkic Mongol warlord and one of the last great conquerors from Central Asia. Was the Turkic? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if he was trying to say Turkish and failing. My notes here say Turkic. Okay. I I, didn't want to stop you, but I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) So... He was born on the 8th of April, 1336, in the Chagatai Khanate, uh, which was partially comprised of what is modern-day Uzbekistan. Okay. And he envisaged himself to be an heir of Genghis Khan and the restorer of the Mongol Empire. Big ask. Yeah, big shoes to fill. Big shoes. That's a big... Bit on. (laughs) Bit on. Bit on. Big, crusady, genocidal shoes to fill. Yep. It is believed that around his teenage years or during his time as a mercenary, he was shot with arrows in the leg and hands, losing two of his fingers and becoming crippled for life. Uh, and this attack led to his uh, nickname of, of Tamerlane, which has something to do with being being lame, if oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, although he was crippled for life, this attack did not stop him in the sliders from becoming a fearsome warlord. He was a Muslim generally believed to be a Sufi who not only relied on Islamic symbols to legitimize his conquest, uh, he referred to himself as the scourge of God, but he also used his Mongolian heritage to justify his campaigns as reclaiming the land that was taken by usurpers. You know what's just like so reassuring about this? Tell me. No one has ever done anything insane in the name of their God. <laughs> so this should be good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean. All, all, all holy crusades are always. Yeah. yeah famously the crusades. 
He rallied a multi-ethnic army and slowly took control of the surrounding areas. And by doing so, he established the Timurid Empire in 1370. Who were the ruling empire? Who were the who were they trying to overthrow here? I th- I think there were there were a few in play at the time. Uh, I think that as we get into it, you'll find that there, there he had a few enemies and a few yeah. But the Ottomans come into this uh, a, okay. a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm very like I really enjoy history, but mm. my knowledge around Central Asia in the 1300s not not my you know. Special wouldn't be my special interest area if I went on a game show. My knowledge of the Central Asian region in the 1300s is limited to the research that I did for this episode. <laughs> and I'm reading it all right now. <laughs> so much like his predecessor, uh, Timur was also a military genius, a man of culture and a patron of the arts. A man of culture. Yeah. What a distinguished gentleman. Uh, and he enjoyed the company of scholars. I thought you were going to say he enjoyed the company of women. I was like, (laughs) yeah. Also much like his predecessor. I was going to say, just like Genghis Khan. Also just like Genghis Khan, he was just as capable of appalling brutality upon his enemies. He was a very shrewd and charismatic politician, which he had to be due to the many disadvantages to the legitimization of his rule. Okay, so I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. Currently in my head, I have an image of this man. Okay. And he in my head, is the bad guy from Mulan. Because he also had effed up hands. He had, like, claw. Some Someone will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, not me. I've seen Mulan, but I can't really remember the bad he guy literally, in detail. Oh, he was massive. He looked... He had, like, these eagle-like eyes. Right. And he had, like, a... I think it was a hawk or an eagle that used to, like sit on his forearm and do all of his evil bidding because they've always got the Disney villains always have an evil bird that works for them. Yep. Always, actually. Always. always. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm just putting the pieces together. They do. What That's- was the name of Jafar's evil parrot? Uh, Iago. Iago. I was gonna yeah. say Ioki. Calm yourself, Iago. <laughs> I still say that on the regular. Um yeah, but he had like these clawed hands. Yeah. Which I assume were to increase his bird of prey like image anyway this right. is how i'm picturing him but so, you said he was massive right yeah he was yeah. big dude well i'm about i can probably shatter your illusion and this this does come later in the uh in the story but uh our mate timor was only 172 centimeters so he was a short king that's not too short though yeah i guess yeah i mean especially for that time yeah very true very true he's like napoleon where people think he's short now but Historically, he actually wasn't that short for the time. Yeah, true. That's very true. But, you know, we love a short king, so go off. (laughs) So I was talking about the disadvantages that Timur faced around the legitimization of his rule. Because of his eagle hands? It was uh, actually due to his birthright, that sort of stuff. Oh, okay. Wasn't everyone pretty illegitimate at that time, though? Because isn't there some statistic that X amount of percent of people in that region are like descendants of Genghis Khan. Yeah. And I think that's probably why he struggled because there were so many people who could claim to be a descendant of, of, of Genghis Khan. There were some pretty strict rules around who could claim the, who, who who actually had the, the birthright or the lineage, the claim to the, 
the throne, for lack of a better term. I think when you have hundreds of direct descendants, uh, birthright and lineage kind of go out the window. Hey, the, the, the whole first season of House of the Dragon was all about the hundreds of Targaryens that possibly had claim. Yeah, but they have an unfair advantage. <laughs> Dragons? Or but incest? Incest. <laughs> <laughs> so... While he claimed to be Temujin Khan's heir, he wasn't actually descended by blood from him, so he could not use the title of Khan. Uh, Timur was a Mongol, and he was a member of the imperial clan of Chinggis Khan, and therefore he was related to him. However, the legal criteria for claiming the title of Khan in the post-Mongol Central Asian kingdoms was that a claimant had to be directly descended from one of Chinggis Khan's four sons, which disqualified Timur. Hang on, you're saying Chinggis. Is that a different person to Genghis? Yes. Okay. Genghis's son, I think, although maybe not. One the, of... There were, the, as we just said, there were literally... Hundreds. There are dozens of us! <laughs> dozens of us! So Timur was... He wasn't Genghis Khan's grandson. He was actually the great Khan's first cousin four times removed. Woof! Sounds like my family reunion. It does to be actually. Honest. It does feel like <laughs> does feel like one of your family reunions. I need a map. <laughs> oh yeah, they call that a family tree. <laughs> they, they already have a name for that. Need a, need a map of a family. What would you call? What would you call like, it? If you're gonna make like a map of a family, <laughs> what would you call it? Oh, it's kind of like branches of a family. Yeah. Someone should come up with a name for that. <laughs> Sorry, we are delusional. Oh, how funny. So. As the Timurid Empire grew in imperial power and prestige to the point of surpassing the Chinggisids, Timur's successors would later claim the title of Khan directly anyway. Yeah, just oh, I'm just going to take it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm going to just do it. Yeah, I'm just going to do what what, uh, what Grandpappy Genghis did. And <laughs> Grandpappy Genghis. <laughs> and just take what I want. <laughs> There's one thing that my old Grandpappy Genghis taught me, is to take, take what whatever you want. the fuck I want. <laughs> And get bitches. Get, get money, get bitches. <laughs> so before taking the, the you know, he, he eventually took the title of Khan. But in the meantime, he used the title of, of Amir, which meant general, uh, and only acquired recognition after marrying a Mongol princess as his top wife. Oh, yeah. you are number one wife. You're my top wife. Thanks. <laughs> it's an honor and a blessing. She's I'm a- also, by, you know, just virtue of technicality, I'm also your bottom wife <laughs> also the lowest rating so i mean more the case of like, oh yeah she's a top wife you know? oh okay I, I <laughs> it was that. double entendre yeah right yeah. uh likewise timur could not style himself as caliph either uh because the supreme and spiritual leader of the islamic world is the the caliph but the office was already taken by the abbasids during that time uh, Timur reacted to this challenge by creating a legend of himself as a supernatural power ordained by Allah. Uh, earlier rulers had successfully exploited the notion that military and political success were the result of God's favor. Therefore, with Timur's successful career as a conqueror, it was quite easy for him to justify that he was favored by God, since no ordinary man could have had such good fortune, and specifically a cripple like him would not have such good fortune unless he was of God's favor. Tell us your secrets. <laughs> so but this goes back to what we were talking about before, about that you know, very charismatic leader. Yeah. 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 So he's got some disadvantages physically. So he obviously is 
you know, working on his personality and his general gumption to make up for it. (laughs) That's right. So at the time, he easily became the most feared man in Asia uh, and he conquered everything in his path. And it didn't matter if they were Christians, Hindus, or even his fellow Muslims. It's generally believed that over 17 million people were killed during his campaigns, which would amount to 5% of the world's population at that time. I was about to say. Yeah. So not quite the, the pro numbers that his grandpappy put up. <laughs> I think at the time he uh, killed around 40 million or 10% of the population, Holy global population moly. at the time. But, you know, he did did old grandpappy Genghis quite proud oh, in his a, slaughter. That is a spicy mm. meatball. So one of his more horrific atrocities, he supposedly <laughs> built a pyramid from the skull and bones of 60,000 of his victims in Baghdad and Isfahan. Oh, God, that's gruesome. And the, the reason that he... From what I could read, the reason that he allegedly built this pyramid was because he was just sick of carrying the bones around everywhere he went. So I he mean, started by carrying them everywhere with him. And yeah. it just got too cumbersome once you start, you know, you kill a couple million people. Yeah. Transporting bones becomes most of your day and then yeah, you've got he, no time for anything else. But he was a self-improver. You know, he decided that he realized what he was doing was kind of hoarding traits and he decided to kind yeah. of Marie Kondo all of his all of his bones. These bones no longer give me joy. <laughs> they don't spark joy. <laughs> they don't spark joy. <laughs> uh, so Isfahan is also where he was known to have gathered women and children of the city and have the children trampled to death by his cavalry. Uh, and he would personally lead the writers in this work due to their initial misgivings. Okay. So pretty fucked up. Yeah. Really yeah, fucked up. Yeah, it's real fucked up. And on top of that, although he led the the trampling himself, because of his um, disabilities, he was unable to mount a war horse without assistance. So he needed help getting up on the horse to to go do this horrible atrocity. Pretty amazing that when he potentially could be physically overpowered quite easily mm. or that he has so many disadvantages in physical like confrontation that he was you know people still followed him and like yeah literally helped him onto a horse when if all they would have to do is really you know launch a sneak attack and yeah. then they could be the next leader that's it but yeah for whatever reason he has them under his eagle hands. That's it, exactly. So he also ordered each of his soldiers to behead two victims each or else they would be beheaded for falling short of their quota. Oh, God. Yeah. So if you don't bring me two, I'll take one. Those are rookie numbers. You've got to pump up those numbers. <laughs> got to pump up those numbers. Got to pump up those numbers, mate. You're never going to make it in this uh, in this Imperial Army. No, that's sorry. That's another Mulan thing. Yeah. That's the Emperor's Army. That's right. Whoops. Yeah. Never going to make it in this Mongol Army if you're not going to take your... Two beheadings. Imagine your performance review. <laughs> well, we had a KPI for two, and I can see here that you did five. So you will be getting your bonus this year. Yeah, and your bonus is you get to take that guy's head. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. You get a six beheading. <laughs> your six beheading is free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. These are people. No, no, I know, right? These I just thought death. about that. I was like, actually, <laughs> like, these are these are, these were victims. Grim. It's really like, grim. Yes, this happened. You just got to laugh through the pain. You got to laugh. You got to laugh. <laughs> How many... How many years ago was this? Um, 700 years ago? 1,300 to 1,000 years ago. Wait, wait, 
only in 20. Sorry, we're not in 2300. <laughs> it's usually you that sucks at maths. I know. So it's about 700. Yeah, about take. 700. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, they lived 700 years ago, but yep. these are still people. So that's pretty. Very. That's that's very pretty true. shit. That's very pretty true. shit way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's important to keep in mind, and we did just touch on it a second ago, but these were acts that were engineered by a man who could not properly hold a sword. Or physically mount a war horse without assistance. So he was ordering people to kill people with swords, to trample people with horses, but he couldn't do it himself. That's like the ultimate metaphor for being like the puppet master, right? Like kind of what we see in different scenarios. Less bloodshed, but like... You know the the person at the center of it all really gets their hands dirty. I was gonna so say it's also it's also the the shitty manager that everyone's oh. had that, that you know because you get those people who do who say I'd never ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Bullshit, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Enjoy being laid off from your mad- middle management position during COVID. You useless sack of shit. <laughs> So, although his conquests were characterized by brutality towards anyone on his path, regardless of their faith, it was other Muslim nations, such as the Persians and Ottomans, that took the brunt of his violence, even though he was a Muslim himself. Uh, he His appalling sacks of Baghdad and Damascus made him a sworn enemy of Islam from the Muslim leaders at the time, especially the Ottoman Sultan Bayezid. Wow. So tensions escalated after one of Bayezid's sons was killed by Timur's troops in Anatolia with the Sultan and the Timur trading strongly worded letters to each other. <laughs> You'll receive this in eight to nine business That's weeks. That's right, yeah. So the 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 letters that were traded, uh, Timur actually advised the Sultan not to antagonize him. Uh Dear Sultan, don't piss me off. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very flower, flowery language, and I didn't include the whole letter because it's quite long. But it was it was kind of like, if you fuck around, you got to find out. Basically, fuck around and yeah. find out. That's basically the catchphrase of all of these situations. That's right. So Bayezid the Sultan was livid, and he could barely hide his rage in his next response when he called Timur a coward and threatened to capture him and have him forced to watch as his royal harem was raped before his eyes. Okay, equally brutal. Yeah. I just, it's it's so, there's so much to this next thought that I have and mm. we, we'd never be able to cover it all and we're also not the people to do it. Yeah. The Middle East has truly never known peace in all recorded history. No, no. Like you think about literally these things are happening in Damascus and Baghdad, cities and places that are still, Mm. still experiencing in in modern times. Some form of turmoil. So much turmoil. Yeah. Like it's just, it's actually mind blowing. It is, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we're not the people to cover it. <laughs> when, 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 we're not, not we're smart enough. Not. But yeah, just worth, just you know, it's just interesting that yeah, this happened seven hundred years ago mm. and totally different world. But yeah, same, not the same, but similar, similar stuff. Yeah, similar unrest, similar tensions, similar. Yeah, you know, religion, absolutely. land, yeah. all this stuff. It's. Yeah, it's just a repeated pattern through human history. Also, I mean, you know, this that that's a, a very kind of sobering thought. I've I've got a, a funny for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it time? Is it time for us to go funny again? Well, the the letters between the Sultan and Timur <laughs> don't they kind of give you the vibe of two boomers fighting on Facebook? Oh. 
like just just having it out in the comments of a All post. All in caps. Yeah. Hi, two commas. And then someone coming in with a minion gif, like. And then someone <laughs> like, and it's like, hi, comma comma, Sultan, you are very rude. <laughs> Frank is unwell. We'll be going. We'll be going to hospital for tests next week. Love Timor. <laughs> Love East Geelong. <laughs> you know they always sign off with their suburban postcode for some reason. <laughs> the dumbest shit. Bless you, little boomers, <laughs> you little boobies. So, in retaliation to this this letter, uh, Timor marched one hundred and forty thousand of his forces and thirty two war elephants to Ankara to meet his opponent in this fateful battle. Uh, with the Timurids outnumbering the Ottoman forces, the Battle of Ankara turned into a massacre since many of the Sultan's allies had abandoned him in the face of overwhelming odds. Yeah. Yep. So two of the Sultan's sons were killed in combat and Bayezid himself was taken prisoner alongside his Christian wife, who was a Serbian princess that was sent to Timur's harem. A Serbian princess? Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Now, accounts differ on how the Sultan and his wife were treated. Some historians believe that the warlord had treated them quite well, since he regarded the Sultan as a worthy opponent. But others claim that Bayezid and his wife were humiliated by the warlord, who trapped the Sultan inside a cage and forced him to watch the his wife serve Timur and his guests whilst completely naked. This is literally the plot of Aladdin. <laughs> they put the Sultan, Jafar puts the Sultan in a cage and makes Jasmine serve him. He does. And and um, Iago feeds the Sultan crackers. That's He's true. like, what a cracker? What a cracker? <laughs> oh my God. I'm just, I'm learning a lot about Disney weirdly today. I'm, I'm putting a lot of pieces together re-Disney, which great topic. <laughs> great topic for a podcast. What's that? Just like the general curse nature of Disney. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've not done any research, but that could be a fun one to explore. The fact is that Bayezid did die in captivity around a year later, and his wife was returned shortly after to her brother's court. And they released her. They did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, This was a turning point as the Ottoman Empire suffered a massive blow because this was the only time in history that a sultan had been captured in combat. And with this victory, Timur became the effective leader of this Islamic world as his own empire stretched from southern Turkey to the Xinjiang region in China. Wow, that's a massive area. Massive, massive area. Geographically huge. Yeah. And I imagine pretty densely populated for the time. Yeah, I I, I would say so, yeah. So after this, after this victory... Uh, Timur turned his attention to China and planned to invade it by striking an alliance with the Mongol Empire. Uh, however, while en route to his invasion, he died of an illness on uh, in February uh, 1405 before he even reached the Chinese border. Okay, so he died. He died, yeah. His remains were taken back to uh, Samarkand, which was kind of the, the that area, as we said, that's the rough same geographical location of Uzbekistan, and they were buried in a sarcophagus. Mm, should have stacked them on the pyramid. <laughs> uh, ironically, the Ottomans would recover from their defeat at Ankara with the fall of Constantinople and eventually became a caliphate in their own right by capturing Mecca and Medina, which are the two holiest sites of Islam. Yep. So we're going to fast forward a little bit now, uh, and we're going to talk about Something that happened in 1740. So this is about 300, 400 years later. Yep. So King Nader Shah of the Afsharid Empire 
attempted to recover Timor's sarcophagus. So, Nader, Why? Well, he idolized Timor and he imitated his military prowess and then later in his reign, his cruelty as well. Uh, but in the process of the removal, the sarcophagus apparently broke in two. Oh. And this was interpreted as a bad omen. His advisors return, uh, urged him to return the sarcophagus to its rightful place. And I'm going to guess he didn't listen to them. No, he did actually. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did listen to them and he returned it. But this event led to generations of people living in the area to believe that Timur's final resting place was cursed. You know how they say when you're like building your career, you should seek out a mentor? Mm-hmm. Maybe not him. Yeah, no, maybe not maybe him. Maybe not him. He's not the guy. Anyone He's not else. the guy to fanboy. Anyone else. Yeah. So, we're going to fast forward again 200 years. So, in 1941, Soviet scientists and archaeologists were sent on an expedition by Joseph Stalin to Samarkand to search for Timur's tomb. So, we have another fanboy. We have another fanboy, yep. Uh, on the 20, 21st of March, 1941, Stalin received a letter from the Cultural Commissariat asking for permission to excavate at the Gur Amir Mausoleum in Samarkand, where, according to the team assembled by Stalin, the remains of Timur were still buried. Permission denied. End of story. That you would you would like that. <laughs> and I'm sure in hindsight, uh, Joseph Stalin probably would have liked that as well. Uh, but they did receive permission and the expedition team flew to Samarkand. And on June 1st, scientists began excavating. Uh, the expedition or the, the exhumation of Timor was made under the direction of Soviet Scientolo- uh, Scientologists. Soviet scientists and anthropologists. Tom Cruise was there. <laughs> John Travolta was there. Elron Hubbard was Elron there. Elron Hubbard was there. <laughs> Oh, God. The whole gang. <laughs> Everyone was there. Kill me, Timor. <laughs> uh, so, under the direction of Soviet scientist and anthropologist Mikhail Mikhailovich Gerasimov. Oof. Yeah. This has been a tough one. This yeah. is like I, I'm, I'm going across. You're doing well. Yeah, thank you. And I any, appreciate that. Any time we mispronounce a name is totally no disrespect intended. That's right. It's never done with any kind we of We just cover or- a lot of... A breadth and depth of content, which comes with a lot of, a lot of names. I feel like I'm becoming a really ex, like a, a, a bit of an expert in really dumb shit. Like- yeah, yeah. Well, every that's the whole point of this podcast. It is. Yeah, that should be our tagline: become an expert in dumb shit. In dumb shit. <laughs> so, before starting the excavation, rumors went around Samarkand that opening the tomb would curse those who opened it. So, as I said, back in 1740. There was the the splitting of the sarcophagus. People went, "Oh, this is a bad omen." Yeah, and then the the legend of a curse was born. Was born from there. Yeah, That's I get right. that. That makes sense to yeah. me. I would probably not be encouraging anyone to dig up a sarcophagus. No, and local Sufi leaders attempted to warn the excavation team of the curse, but they were summarily ignored. Of course, they were yeah. because <laughs> what would they know? That's right. Yeah. So on June 5th, the first coffin was opened. Presumably it was the grave of Ulugbek, who was known as the great astronomer and the grandson of Tamerlane or Timur. Yep. According to history, Ulugbek was decapitated by enraged guardians of the Islamic faith. 
What is with all the decapitation? I don't know. Is there no other way of killing people? I mean, it's quick at least. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Do you remember Marie Antoinette? No, was it Marie or was it the... It was her maid. Her maid, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. The first cut wasn't the deepest. Oh. Uh, so when archaeologists lifted the lid of this coffin, they found a skeleton with a missing head that had been buried... With the head had been buried next to the body. So the team were now convinced that this was the final resting place of Timor. Amazing. Put it back, walk away, <laughs> walk away, pretend you were never there. That's right. So on the 19th of June, the team that was led by Gerasimov entered Timor's tomb. The tomb was inscribed with a warning that read, When I rise from the dead, the world shall tremble. Oh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> Now, allegedly, once they opened the tomb, another inscription was discovered that said, "Whoever, whosoever disturbs my tomb will, in, will unleash an invader more terrible than I. And I, you know what? I'll save this thought. I'll okay. save this thought because I have very strong feelings about this specifically. Okay. And I will store that in my memory box i'll try to i'll try to keep a hold keep of that, that thought. In, okay. you know how my thoughts tend to escape me but i'll try to keep a tight hold on that one because yeah try to keep that in your brain sack and we'll, we'll move on <laughs> oh my god so everyone was quite freaked out by these inscriptions uh yeah and the team recalled the warning of the sufi sages uh, a local member that was part of the team so a lo- like a, like an actual local who was a member of the team uh, presented them with a book that contained the passage, you must not touch the ashes of the great commander, otherwise the war will begin. So the team actually wanted to stop the excavation at this point, and there were arguments about whether they should continue. But because the whole world was already talking about the expedition and because Stalin was particularly interested in the results of the expedition, they decided to continue. Oh, dear. <laughs> So they tried to use a winch to move the sarcophagus in order to access the lid, but the crane broke and it was irreparable. Okay, so yep. even the crane is out. Yeah, that's right. The crane's like, hell to the no. So the sarcophagus had to be moved manually. They were finally able to access the lid at 2 p.m. on the 20th of June. When the lid was opened, all the lamps that were illuminating the tomb were extinguished. Oh, nah. Goodbye. So finally, they found the remains of a man that would have stood 172 centimetres in height and would have walked with a pronounced limp. Who do we know like that? Well, Gerasimov was certain that this was Timur and he was able to reconstruct his facial features from the skull. So he was able to do like a facial reconstruction based on the Can the you see of images of that online? Yes, you can. Yeah. And I think there have been like, like sculpts and things like that done since. Yeah. Now... Two days after Timor's sarcophagus was opened, Germany com- commenced Operation Barbarossa. How's your World War II history? It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'd say the... I was about to call them highlights, which is so glib. Yeah. I really shouldn't say that. The um, the main point... Main thrust of it. Obviously, yeah. given that it was a world war, there were so many battles and countries there involved were. and... And things, and I definitely studied it in school mm-hmm. and had quite a keen interest in it. Like yep. I found it to be quite interesting, um, but that particular 
operation does not sound familiar to me. Okay, so it was the land invasion of the Soviet Union by Nazi Germany. Okay, so pretty big. Yeah. Yep. Well, it was the largest land offensive in human history. Yep. With over 10 million combatants taking part. Okay. So the operation, which was codenamed after Frederick Barbarossa, who was a 12th century Holy Roman Emperor and German King, it put into action Nazi Germany's ideological goal of conquering the Western Soviet Union to repopulate it with Germans. And we all know how that turned out. Well, not successfully. That's right. But it's quite eerie that this all happened two days after the sarcophagus was opened. That's a quick turnaround on a curse. So when word got back to Joseph Stalin about the apparent curse, the inscriptions and the supernatural events that happened during the excavation, Stalin believed in the curse so strongly that he ordered uh, Timur to be reburied. Yeah. So according to legend, the remains of Timur were taken to the front lines of Stalingrad to inspire the Muslim troops in the Red Army. Why would you remove him from his resting place and bring him to Russia? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know why. Probably to put him in a museum. It's it's the it's I know colonization, baby. It's if, if, cultural robbery. It's if you're trying to undo the curse. I think that he'd already been brought back at this point. Oh, but take him back. Go back to the original resting place. Do well, well. They were, but on the way, they stopped off at Stalingrad, and they. This is this is according to legend. But that's not really in the spirit of of putting him back. That's no. going on tour. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's like it's like the John Farnham farewell tour. It just never ends. <laughs> Tamerlane on tour. Oh, Tickets available now. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> so uh, Timor was reburied with full Islamic burial rites on the 20th of December 1942, which was about a month before the Soviet victory at Stalingrad. And Timor's remains are still buried uh, in this place to this day. So this is one that doesn't have like a lot of examples of a curse. Yeah. But this is one that is so oh, it's a heavy hitter. acute and a heavy hitter yeah. that I thought it was an interesting one to talk oh, yeah, about. Yeah, it's very interesting. So Amy, before we get into counterpoints, what are your thoughts right now? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. I'll bet. This, a is a, this is a, lo- a big one to digest. Yeah, it is. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, there are no good guys in this story, which, you know. No, no <laughs> there really aren't. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to empathize with anyone. Like, obviously you shouldn't disturb the dead. It's clearly. a bit like we, we, re-watched, we rewatched Gone Girl the other day. Oh, I know. There's no, no, one, no there's heroes no one, one to root for. You're yeah. like, you're all garbage people. Except maybe uh, Ben Affleck's sister. She's a bit of an enabler. She is. That's true, actually. She's a bit of an enabler. You're right. No heroes. Yeah, Fuck them all. There's no heroes. <laughs> Maybe that police officer. She was just doing her job. Yep. You know? Yep. Anyway, that's totally separate to this. Um, so, do you... I mean, I think I want to talk about some stuff, but I think it lends more into my, my conclusion. Okay. So, I don't know if... You've got any counterpoints that you want to share I, before I launch into that? I do. I have two, uh, but I think we should take a quick break yeah. and allow you to, to sort of chew yeah. on those thoughts a little Give bit. some processing time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll be back in a minute with counterpoints and Amy's final conclusion. All right, we're back. Hello. So let's get into counterpoints. Um, this week because there's really only one incident of the 
curse, as yeah. we talked about. There's not a lot of counterpoints. Yeah. Because there's not a lot to undo of, yeah, or unpack. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, but it should be noted that by the time Timur was reburied, uh, Nazi German forces were already encircled due to Operation Uranus that had commenced <laughs> in November. How juvenile. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the likely reason that the Soviets were able to win the Battle of Stalingrad, not the, not necessarily the burial or the exhumation and subsequent reburial of a Central Asian conqueror from the 1300s. But you can't disprove it. You can't, but what is also of note is that the inscriptions and the warnings from the local Sufi leaders of the curse were disputed by people who were close to Gerasimov, uh, and they claimed that the story was a total fabrication. Why? Why do they claim it? Why would they make it up? Yeah. <laughs> why would they lie? But why would they lie? Seriously, why would they lie? I, I, I don't know. But those are the two counterpoints that I have for you. So, Amy, I'm going to hand it over to you now. Um, the Curse of Timor. Is it truly a curse or is it just a coincidence? My thoughts are quite extensive. Look, I'm going to try and make this really concise. Okay. Um, similarly to this whole thing, it's it's acute, it's quick, it's a heavy hitter. We're in, we're out. We're in and we're out. Yeah. There's one thing that really gets me with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other, there's plenty of other historical curses that I'm sure we will cover with a similar sort of situation. And these warnings are given and disregarded Mm. by people who assume that they know better, that it's superstition, it's all... Myth, myth. it's legend, it's not not to be taken seriously. Exactly, right? Right. So they just press on because they know better, right? Yep. I once heard or read or saw someone say that take... Chernobyl, right? Mm -hmm. Chernobyl will be active and dangerous and the exclusion zone around Chernobyl will be, it will far, it will outlive any of us. 100%. In terms of how dangerous and the levels of um, nuclear, what's, radiation, radiation. Radiation Yeah, yeah. There are countless warnings, countless, you know, what is to stop someone in a thousand years, 1500 years looking at those signs and going, that's myth superstition. They didn't, they were so rudimentary in their science. They don't know what they're talking about. That's so long ago. I know better. It's a really good question. It's a really good point. So what I'm saying is we don't, we don't put in every see at the time, the 1940s was the modern age. Mm. We're now, 70 80 years past that yeah and we look back at that at that those times are so it feels like it was so long ago. exactly and how how far we've progressed and i'm sure that we believe that society has progressed so far and you know science and whatever the warnings of the past don't necessarily impact exactly because we know better right Mm -hmm. we we study these things from afar like they're in everything's an artifact it's Mm. not necessarily something that 
that we take into consideration. We, yeah. st- we study we study history as an artifact. We don't mm. study it as a lesson a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And Maybe we should more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ironically, like we were saying, and I brought it up before I even knew I was going to go down this path, but how many times have we seen... It's like, okay, this all happened 700, 800 years ago mm. initially, but the same things have been happening again and again and again in different iterations throughout that period, even within that same geographical region. You could even say that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. You may say that. That'd be quite a cool quote. Yeah. I just made that up. No, you didn't. I I've didn't. heard that before. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you absolutely did not. Of course, I didn't. I thought you were serious, and <laughs> no, I was like, not, not even a little bit. <laughs> there was when I first started university. We got um, it was two thousand and seven, so we still got hard print, like hard copy, like uh, orientation packs. Yep. I'm sure everything's online now, mm. but you know, like you know, your first year at university handbook, and you get a student diary and whatever. There's literally in the introduction someone saying like this was an important enough concept to put it in up right up the front you may have the best most laser precision point thought idea of your entire life to put into an essay or a paper or whatever guaranteed someone else has had it before so you've got to go find the source right okay (laughs) so just fyi no one makes anything up (laughs) Um. so all of that is to say that there's no way I can confidently sit here and say those messages and those warnings of the past are not legitimate. It would be really um, uh, obnoxious is the word I thought of, but no, it's not obnoxious. It'd be really, um, what's the word I'm looking ignorant. for? Ignorant. Mm. Ignorant for us to sit here and say that simply because of the time in which they were given – that those warnings don't mean anything because coming back to the one example I've been able to provide off the top of my head being Chernobyl Mm. in a thousand years, 2000 years. And we all know that the half-life of radiation is like literally thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. So all, if human civilization still exists thousands of years into the future. It's a big fucking if. Sure. sure. But if it does, how do we impress upon future generations, the legitimacy and the importance of those messages? Yeah. Because the further and further away we get from these events, the more they're written off to history as an artifact and not something that can be, not something that applies today. Mm. Even the World War, like people who fought in World War II are still alive today. Yeah. And realistically, the situation we're in politically today in much of the Western world, did we really learn anything? Yeah. Yeah. And I know this all seems irrelevant, but it's not. It's part of the bigger thing where humans never fucking learn. <laughs> we, we just don't learn and we do not hold any stock in... We always think that we are at the pinnacle of human civilization, the mm. peak of human intelligence, the peak of knowledge, the peak of everything. And of course, there are scientific advances that have been made that far outstrip where we were in World War II. There is also research. A lot of what we know about twins comes from research that was conducted by the Nazis yeah. in World War Two. Yeah. Which is grim. Very grim. And horrible. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that we would be silly 
I want to make sure that this point's clear because I'm not saying that the Nazi experiments were a good thing. That, okay, Please, good, yeah. like, let, let me just make that very clear. But what I'm saying is that while we might think we are extremely advanced, we are really just repeating the same cycles over and over and over again Yeah, because we don't learn from the past. We don't take heed of warnings from... From history. the past, from yeah. history, okay. in in micro sense, macro sense. Yeah. So all of that's to say is that I could not confidently sit here as one person with limited knowledge and literally no knowledge of the cultural time, the context in which those warnings were made mm. and say that there's not legitimacy in that. Okay. So I'm going to call it a curse. Okay. So final, final decision is... Curse. 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 Okay. All right. There you go. So, you, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, I, I when I was researching this one, I think it, it I, 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 I can't help but draw parallels when I'm when I'm researching, and I was like, well, this is like this is like super concentrated Otzi the Ice Man. It's like Otzi on steroids. Yeah. It's only one example, but wow, is it an example? Oh yeah, it's yeah. a good one. So I, I'm not. I'm genuinely. I'm. I'm. I'm not surprised that that's that that's your final decision. Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, we all know how I feel about disturbing the dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I don't think I was specific enough in terms of my reasoning in relation to this curse because mm. um, obviously I spoke about a general concept that I've heard in relation to other curses that mm-hmm. made me sort of think of this. But I also think that yeah, it was so acute, like. Two days, that's a quick turnaround. I don't even get packages from Amazon that quickly, okay? (laughs) So that is a quick turnaround. I think that the specificity of the warning was regarding war. Yeah. Like that's... And and, and, uh, an invader will... Yeah. yeah. The world will tremble. Yeah. Yeah, the world sure did tremble. Yeah, it did. The loss of human life Mm. in World War II was catastrophic. Yeah, two days probably wouldn't have even been enough for the the love letters between the Sultan and... uh, (laughs) and, uh, uh, Timor to to get to reach each other. No, yeah, and two days also wouldn't have been enough to for the the process, the operation to stop. Really, once it once those wheels were in motion, it was happening. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I know that of course there's going to be naysayers who are going to say, "Take your counterpoints. This was already underway." Blah 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 yeah. blah. Sure. The timing of it, but like. What are the chances yeah. of Stalin digging up a conqueror and you know what I mean? Like what receiving are, warnings and then what are the chances? Yeah, very very low. I don't want to do the stats on that. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you again as always for uh, for tuning in. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok if you follow the handle all one word that cursed pod. You sure can. And if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, rate it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. wherever you're listening. And uh, let us know what you think. If you want to send us a DM or leave a review, that's amazing. Uh, and if you think that there's someone who you know who might enjoy this episode or any of our other episodes, please forward them, share them, airdrop them, give them one of your AirPods, do whatever you need <laughs> to do. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much it from me. And, and until next week, stay cursed. Bye, everyone. Bye.